Now rocking with the best. Only two things can get you through this, man. Patience and persistence. Work harder than everyone. Be patient and just know that if you're gonna do something on your own, you're gonna have to feel some pain. You're only the boss if you put up your own money. If you don't put up your own money, I don't care how much somebody gives you. You're nothing but a supervisor. It's not yours. It, it takes fearlessness to be first. You know, to not move with a crowd, to move alone. I stopped living according to what people wanted me to do. I started living according to what actually made me happy. If you're not happy, change your life. Allow me to reintroduce myself. The Culture Talks Podcast with your host, Carlos Stutzer. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is your boy C I double Z Y. You dig live action, Kansas City, Missouri. But y'all already knew that we are back again with another episode of the Culture Talks podcast, the Culture Talks show. However, you want to say it is however it's gonna go. You dig what I'm saying? And I'm not a rapper, <laughs> but I'm a rapper though. Um, listen, I'm back again with another episode. I tell you guys every single week, every single Friday, I'm like, hey, next week. I'm going to come back with a fire guest, and I've yet to lie. I've yet to lie because truthfulness is the foundation of all human virtues, and I like to keep a foundation under my feet. So today, we bring to you Mr. DeAndre. DeAndre, go ahead and introduce yourself to the people. How's it going, everybody? DeAndre, uh, real estate investor, uh, new construction home builder, flipper, um, all the above, real estate license, uh, basically the real estate guru. So that's simply what I do. I love it. I love it. I love it, man. Uh, first off, before we jump in, I just want to say thank you for agreeing to jump on a podcast. We've kind of been, you know, I text you every few months like, yo, let's let's link for coffee or yo, let's link for a, a podcast. So I'm glad we're able to make it happen today. Um, you know, at the end of the day, however long it takes, doesn't matter just as long as we're able to make it happen. So big blessings. How's, how's things going on your side? Where are you at right now? It's good. We're busy. That's why we haven't been able to link until now. Good, um, good. You know, everybody knows real estate market's crazy. Uh, just trying to keep up. Got a lot of new construction, got a lot of flips going on. So um, I'm trying to keep keep everything afloat. I love it. I love it. Well, per usual, ladies and gentlemen, you guys know how this goes. We start off by talking to our guests about their early life. So give us a quick bio, man. Like, tell us about where you grew up. Uh, what was life like for you as a young man, you know, 10, 11 years old? Let's start around there and then we'll start to transition into later into your life. Okay. Uh, quick summary. Uh, grew up single mom, uh, first mixed kid in the family. My mom's side's white. My dad, my dad's side's uh, St. Lucian, so black. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, that was an interesting thing being brought into uh, an all white family. Uh, my dad really wasn't around. He was in the military, bounced back and forth. So uh, really learn all my lessons and everything from my mom. Look like my dad, of course, because that's usually how it goes. Um, but that's just kind of a brief summary just of, of the early life. Uh, mom worked hard every day, all day. So that's where I got my work, work ethic from. Um, ended up trying to go to the NFL like every other little brown kid out there. Uh, grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. Ended up going to Winnetonka High School. Um, it's pretty good at all the sports that I did. I ended up getting a full-ride scholarship to Northwest Missouri State. I played football as a safety there. I also ran track, so I was a decathlon. So um, athlete year-round, uh, super exciting there. Uh, ended up graduating from Northwest and then kind of jumped into real estate, and that brought me to you. 
love it. I love it. So, you know, fun fact, ladies and gentlemen, if you're watching this on video, you know, I ain't trying to clown. This ain't no light skin joke, but brother, you kind of look like, what's bro's name? Uh, Something Ashton Eaton or something like that. Ashton Eaton? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, you don't we... look like him. You don't, but you know what I'm saying? He was saying? nice. He was nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's let's talk about like your early introduction to sports. So what sport did you start off playing like earliest in your life? What was the the go-to sport that your parents, your mom put you in and was like, yo, you got to do this? There was everything. She, everything. <laughs> she encouraged me to do everything. Uh, I did football as my main, basketball, baseball. I wrestled. She got me in gymnastics. When I was like in second grade, she made me do ballet. I was the only guy in the class and they was laughing at me. So I had a cop out of that way back in the day. <laughs> but basically in any, everything that you can imagine, um, I've done it. I ended up slowly focusing, getting in on, uh, in, in high school, I did football, basketball, and track. Um, so those were kind of my main three sports, but really anything that involves a ball or running or jumping or tackling somebody, I was in. I love it. And and what do you feel like that taught you like early on in life? You know, I think a lot of people, their go-to is, oh, it taught me discipline and taught me time management. I think for everyone, it's a little bit different. But when you started getting more serious about, you know, being a three-sport athlete in high school, and of course you come across coaches who some are leaders and some are not. Um, but what was your experience like with your coaches? What were some lessons you learned during your four years at, at Winnetonka? Yeah, so honestly, sports taught me everything. My mom in sports really gave me everything. Like you said, uh, discipline. Me playing three sports, um, had a lot of practices to go to. I had a lot of weights to lift. I had a lot of sprints to run. Um, So it really taught me how to um, balance everything from still having a social life, uh, still getting good grades in school, and still being able to keep up with uh, three different sports. Sometimes they overlap. So um, Work ethic was a huge one. Um, being able to push through, I think that's a big thing nowadays is uh, there's, there's a lot of people who, who aren't as naturally tough and they're, they, they give up easily if they run into an adversity. And that's not something that you can do playing any sport. So really just being able to overcome adversity um, and elevate yourself, rise to the occasion, no matter what challenge you have in front of you putting your helmet on, putting your cleats on, strapping up the gloves, whatever you got to do and uh, attacking, attacking the challenges in front of you and really not backing down. That's, that's what sports taught me. And do you think like you got that, that natural ability to be gritty and to, to, to hustle and to get shit done because of your mom and growing up in, you know, I think a lot of people when they grow up in, you know, a single, single parent household, they learn a lot from that parent, you know, that parent's hustling, working their ass yeah. off to get to the paper, taking care of the kids. I don't know if you have any other siblings or if, or, or not, but, you know, mm-hmm. ha, ha, that can be challenging for the parent and the kid, you know, is always watching growing up. So do you feel like you developed that tenacity and that grip from your mother? Or do you think, yeah. it, you know, or at least that it, it was a part of it? That was, that's got to be 120% of it. Um, she's the hardest working person I know. She's working three jobs now and she doesn't have a single kid to raise. So that's just what what she does. Yeah. So I was an only child. Um, I used to have to go to sports all the time because she would be at work and she would get off work, come pick me up. But she is the hardest working person um, I've ever known. We didn't grow up with a lot of money. She just worked a standard minimum wage job, but she still um, 
made enough money to put food on the table, keep a roof over our head and get admissions for to buy pads and cleats and stuff for me. So for sure, she's the hardest working person I've ever met. And I didn't know how good my work ethic was because that's who I surround. I didn't surround myself. She's my mother. That was the only person that I was around. So I thought everybody worked that hard until I kind of started uh, the real people and people started quitting and not wanting to do stuff and show, not showing up on time. And that was a real shock because that's what I was raised to do. That was kind of the standard. So it was really not any, anything extra. Um, that's really how, how she raised me. How did you deal with that, though, especially, you know, as you're getting older, you're entering into college, you know, sometimes college athletes, you know, they may get a full scholarship, they may be talented at their sport, but they not, may not be actually committed to the grind, they may have got there just purely off talent. So how did you deal with, you know, teammates in high school or teammates in college who really weren't about that, that hustle and about that grit? Did you try to separate yourself from them? Did you try to encourage them? What was what was that? What were those interactions like for you? Because I know for myself, you know, coming around, you know, being around friends who aren't interested in, you know, hustling or, or being focused or, you know, trying to, to go down a certain path or they don't have a direction. It's very difficult for me to be around them after trying to inspire them for a little bit. And then they're not listening. So you just like, I right, F it. So how did you deal with that? And how do you deal with that today as well? So um, I've always felt like a natural born leader. Um, I've always had good ideas and uh, been good at encouraging people to kind of follow those. And um, again, I didn't know anything else but hard work. So that's how I behaved. Um, I tried to get as many friends as I could to do that. I kind of hung around a clique that was pretty tight. We worked out and did a thousand sit-ups every day so we could have abs for the pool back in back in the day. So um, I ran with a pretty cool clique that uh, was, was pretty hardworking for the most part. But as we got older, um, we were going to different camps and coaches, more coaches were talking to me and stuff. And they're like, hey, like, we we know these are your homeboys and whatnot, but you're you're going to go farther than them. Like, you're going to you're different than the guys you're surrounding yourself with. And I really didn't know what that meant at the time. I just kind of kept my head down and kept working. Um, but slowly um, they would fall off. They would end up quitting sports or missing practice or this and that. Um, it never really discouraged me. I uh, kept doing the only thing I know, the only thing I knew how to do. Um, I don't, I, I don't want to say it was tough because once I started hearing that I was going to go different places, I just kind of had the mindset and I had a focus that I was going to make it. Um, I wanted to go to the NFL. That was my, my biggest dream. So I'm like, I don't care what anybody's doing. I'm going to stay focused. I will rot. One of my favorite quotes is as you rise, you shall lift. So I did everything that I could to uh, help my help my boys out. But if they weren't uh, really with it, I didn't really discourage me. I didn't let that really alter our relationship. I just ended up uh, staying focused on my path. I wouldn't be going to parties. I wouldn't be doing anything like that. I would take care of my business first. If you wanted to join, you're more than welcome. I'm gonna help you as, as much as I can. But if not, we'll end up going our separate ways. So that was just kind of throughout high school. And then college, same thing happened. Uh, the hard workers kind of separated themselves from the guys who were just kind of naturally athletic. Um, and nothing's better than the test of time because hard work is always going to 
be the thing that separates you from a whole bunch of different people. So again, uh, a lot of stuff started separating. Nowadays, I got about three or four really good friends that are all real estate investors. Uh, we're all entrepreneurs. We're all making good money and, and have healthy relationships. Um, I wouldn't say that I completely disconnect from others that really aren't on that same path. We just don't have as much in common anymore. So I try to do my best to, to kind of get them on the path and show them the way. But um, I've learned through experience and through continually trying to get friends to um, elevate themselves that it's not for everybody. Um, there are definitely levels to it. Some people are okay with being mediocre. Some people want the easy route. Some people don't want to be rich in this and that. And the more I try to get people to do what I'm doing, um, the more I realize that I'm just kind of a different breed. And um, and it's okay to accept that. Yeah, <laughs> and it's yeah, okay to sure. accept that. I think that's important to talk about as well. It's just like so many people feel bad, like acknowledging that they might be a little bit different or they might be going down a different path or they may have different motivations than their friends, but it's totally okay to accept that, embrace that and continue moving forward with that. And if people you know, wanna follow, then they'll follow because you're leading the way. So I love that. I do wanna talk a little bit about Northwest before we transition into your you know, real estate career. So 2013 national champions, yeah. play, you play football all, all, yeah. all four years. You're going to a legendary school who's known for winning national championships mm -hmm. over and over again. What was that experience like entering such a, such a, you know, you know, legacy team when it comes to yeah. football. Yeah, it was very prestigious. That was a huge culture shock because I went to Winnetonka. I was the only guy uh, to get an athletic scholarship in the entire school and I got two sports. So um, our culture really wasn't a winning culture from um, high school. We, were, we had good athletes and we ended up winning a lot of games my senior year, but we really, we didn't breed champions. And that's the biggest thing. That's why I chose Northwest. I went to, I was pretty highly recruited in the MIAA. I went to Pitt State, uh, Lindenwood, Fort Hayes, all the, all the MI, MIAA schools. <clears throat> and Northwest took me upstairs. They went to their championship room. They're like, that's our first national championship. That's our second. If you come to this school, you will get a national championship. Everybody else is like, yeah, we're, we're really good. And we're, we're on the way. It's our time now. We're going to get one. But Northwest was the one that showed me the hardware. Um, I met all their coaches and they were about their business. Um, so that's, ended up, that's why I ended up choosing there. And as soon as I got there, there was a huge difference uh, between uh, Winnetonka football and, and Northwest football. Just it's, it's college football is your profession. It's not really only for fun anymore. That is your job is to play football. So we had weights for two hours a day, starting at 5.30 in the morning. Uh, we had film after that. Then we had to go to our classes. Then we had practice. Then we had film after. So, I mean, you're, you you got four or five hours every single day dedicated strictly to football. So that was kind of the, the biggest thing is the culture of they just bred championship football. I love it. I love it. And if you could select one thing from your, your time at, at Northwest on the football team and the coaches you interacted with and the players you interacted with, what's one like life lesson or quote or something a coach said to you or something you saw a coach doing that's like stuck with you to this day that's, you know, kind of helped you shape how you've been, you know, building your career? Yeah, so our head coach at the time, Adam Doral, he used to um, have this slogan, I-A-O improvise, adapt, and overcome. 
And he said on the football field, but really that applies to everything. No matter what situation you're in, good or bad, you can improvise, you can adapt to, and you can overcome. So that was the the, the core to Northwest football is IAO. So get it figured out. Get it I love it. I love it. And what did you what did you decide to study while you were at Northwest? And what was kind of the reasoning and the, the purpose behind choosing your degree path, your career path when you were in school? So I wish I had a better answer, but um, I always wanted to be an architect growing up. Um, I love drawing houses. Um, when I was little, I used to play with Legos all the time and build giant castles and everything. So I know I want to do something along the lines of engineering or architecture. Um, I actually got accepted to the University of Miami's architecture program. They only let like 50 people in a year. So I got academic scholarship to go there. So for half my senior year, I was, was going to go there. The scholarship was only half and it was like $52,000 a year to go to Miami. Um, again, I was raised in a single mother household, so that really wasn't an option. Um, then I started getting recruited pretty heavily by the MIAA. So everybody told me, you can't give up um, a free education. Don't put yourself in, in debt to go to Miami when you can get a free education. So Northwest really only had project management or not project management, um, they had business management um, was the degree. So I ended up doing business management and marketing. I figured it doesn't really matter. I'm going to go to the NFL anyways. And if not, um, business management marketing is a general enough degree to where I can kind of figure out, I can branch off from anywhere. That's a kind of a base degree to where I can kind of pivot and get to where I want to go from there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, with all due respect, being that you didn't make it to the NFL, how did you deal with that though? Like, you know, when you when you were wrapping up college and you were saying, oh, you know, maybe this isn't going to happen. How yeah. did you deal with that emotionally? I don't know. A lot of people deal with it's very tough to deal with that. So I don't know how you handled that. So how did you handle that situation, realizing that that may not be the path that you'll be ending up going down? It hurt. It hurt badly. Um, I'm very blessed to say that that's probably um, one of the lowest points of my life is that um, I didn't make it to the NFL because I mean there's a lot of people who've been through a lot of worse things than that so I'm for sure blessed to be able to say that that's one of the worst things that I've been through but on the same hand that was one of the best things that happened to me because I was forced to find out who I was um, I was good at so many different things but since I was good at football I just kind of thought that was going to be the coolest easiest path um and that's what I was going to do. So I kind of define myself as an athlete. So once I was done and over with that, I kind of had to find a new identity. Um, that didn't come easy. It took a couple, couple months. Um, once I was done with football, um, I had a lot of deep conversations with a lot of close mentors and friends and family. Um, and I just kind of slowly figured out what I wanted to do. Um, I tried everything, tried everything that I had any interest in. And slowly I landed into uh, project management and building houses. And I knew I was going to be great at something. I thought it was football. That's not what it was. Um, fell into building houses and I'm even better at that than I was at football. So I'm extremely blessed. Uh, but I think the biggest thing that allowed me to find myself was I didn't let it discourage me for too long. I was sad for a little bit, but I used all of that energy to find something that I was passionate about. I didn't, I didn't slow down. I didn't uh, 
stop. I kept my momentum and, and pushed forward and found something that, that, that I was passionate about. I love that. I love that. Ladies and gentlemen, that can be you too. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, though, I love that because, you know, so many people struggle to find their identity after high school, whether it's because of sports, especially for a lot of, you know, young black men who are finishing up their, their life as an athlete. And they're like, wow, okay, maybe the NFL is not in, in, or the NBA is not there, or the MLS is not there, or going overseas to play pro soccer is not there. What am I going to do now? And they spend years and years trying to figure that out. So if you could suggest maybe one thing that people should do, maybe it's a book people should read or, or questions they should ask their friends and mentors, what's one thing you did that you can kind of remember really helped you kind of re, rebuild your identity and, and go down this path to project management and real estate investing? Yeah, so once, once I got the, the news with that, um, I doubled down in... Uh, there's some called Ty 67 Steps, Ty Lopez. Um, he's not as enjoyable as he used to be, but back out when he was starting out, he was a little bit more humble. Um, he had this program called Ty 67 Steps. It was like $67, 67 days worth of uh, different lessons. Um, and I learned a lot of different stuff from that. From that, I then branched off, uh, started reading some more books because that was one of the lessons. He's like, all these millionaires read x amount of pages per day they're doing this and that so i'm like okay well that's where i want to get to so that's my next step so i started reading a lot of books i read rich dad poor dad which is a staple for any real estate investor ever um then realized how you can make a lot of money and really build an empire um, in real estate so then from there i kind of reversed engineered okay well i want to make i want to be a millionaire all right from there i'm gonna read my books I'm going to be a real estate investor. Okay. From there, what do I need to do? Okay. I'm passionate about um, building houses and different stuff like that. So then from there, I just kind of reverse engineered, applied for a whole bunch of home building uh, positions, got denied a lot. Didn't let that detour me. Uh, technically a lot of home builders have construction management degrees and I just had a business management degree. So that was why I uh, kept getting a couple of rejection mails, but kept plugging away, found somebody that said, hey, I'll start from the bottom. I don't care what I do. Um, I'll wash someone's shoes. I'll carry coffee. I'll do whatever it's got to take. Just give me a chance because um, I will be the real deal. I just went in very humble. Um, at first, they said, no, we really don't have any positions. Uh, called back in about three months. One month went by. I called them back, said, hey, I'm really serious about this. Um, I will literally start anywhere. I'll do whatever. I just need my foot in the door. They ended up creating a position called uh, assistant project manager for me. I spent my first four or five months carrying in cabinets, going into Home Depot, picking up stuff for the guys. Um, the project manager that was training me ended up quitting uh, about six months from me starting. So that opened up an opportunity for me. I started uh, gaining more and more responsibility and I just destroyed it ever since. And now I'm like the head project manager at the Hope project management, can't even talk, project manager um, of the whole company. But um, I just started with humility, uh, kept pushing forward, didn't let, any, let anything discourage me and just tried my hardest. I try to learn every day. I love that. I love that. And so I believe from, from my research, you started your first project management position 2015, 2016. Is that correct around that timeline? 2016, I graduated college in uh, May 
I think May 15th, I graduated college. I had my last track meet May 16th and 17th. And then on May 18th, um, I started my career as an assistant project manager. I love it. I love it. And for those individuals out there who aren't, you know, in the real estate world, they're not in the construction, they're not a general laborer, they're not, they're not anything involved with real estate or home building. What exactly does a project manager really do? So, so, you know, you, you work hard, you get from assistant manager, you know, opportunity opened up, you claimed the opportunity. And ever since then, you've been putting, putting your back into it and hustling. But what does that really look like? What, what are you doing on a day-to-day basis? What, what yeah. tasks and responsibilities are you assigned? So basically I am the GM of the builder. So I've got a head above me who's the actual builder, the business owner. Um, and then I'm basically the, the GM of it. So what I'll do is I will get the blueprints from architect. I'll get a materials list from the designer. I'll put those two together. I'll go through and analyze everything. And then I kind of get a vision of what the house is going to look like. And then I'm responsible for everything from then on out. So um, I will call the excavator. I'll have them dig the hole. Um, I'll call the foundation people. They'll lay the foundation. I call the plumbers, electrician, HVAC, framers, roofers. The list goes on and on. But I'm basically the GM. I'm the one who hires everybody to get the stuff done. Um, I order all the materials, uh, quality assurance. I make sure everybody's doing their job on time. I schedule everybody. I make sure that everything's done correctly. Uh, make sure everything's done according to the blueprints and the materials list. So basically, I'm just the overseer of every single thing that goes on with the house. Okay. And so what it sounds like is you are having to communicate and interact with a lot of different people in a lot of different fields. And so that's a lot of different personalities. So what has been, you know, the most challenging thing about your position, you know, when you're communicating with so many different personalities and so many different crews and, and people in different industries with different attitudes, like, how are you handling people and what has been like a, you know, a key principle that you follow on a day to day basis that really helps you manage human beings? Yeah, so that kind of sounds like a struggle, just being able to balance everybody and keep everybody on schedule. And there's so many different people. You've got the framers and the painters and the trim guys. Um, but that's really why I'm such a good project manager is because that's that embodies everything that I've ever done in my entire life. I played five sports in middle school and three sports in high school. So I grew up doing that. The football kids are way different than basketball kids. Basketball kids are way different than wrestlers wrestlers are way different than baseball kids. So I've spent my entire life uh, intermingling with different groups throughout. And that's basically the same thing that I do now. Every, every phase is just kind of a different sport um, that I end up uh, meeting with different guys. Uh, in construction, there's a lot of uh, Hispanic people as well. So I had to learn quite a bit of Spanish too, just because there's one guy on the, on the crew that, uh, that speaks a little bit of English, but everybody else doesn't speak anything. Um, there's a lot of other project managers that don't care to learn the language or their culture or anything like that. And that's what kind of makes me stand out for the guys because I'll speak Spanish to them. Um, I'll go with them on the lunch breaks and eat the homemade tamales and uh, all that different stuff. So um, I build a lot of good relationships with the guys. And that's, that's my favorite part is being able to go to different jobs every day um, I see different houses in different phases. I talk to different guys. That's the best thing about project management is there's something different every day. I'm not just 
typing on a computer, doing the same thing over and over again. I love it. I love it. But I also imagine that there is, you know, from just what you're saying, there's a lot of scheduling. So what does your calendar look like? Like, how do you help be like, how do you track the timeline of a home building process from the bottom going up? Like, uh, are there any systems? Are there any specific calendars that you're running your life out of? Or is it just Google calendars or like, are you using you know, Asana or, or Slack or anything like that to communicate with people Like, what are your, what do your systems look like in your day-to-day life to be able to manage your timelines? Yeah. So we have a system called builder trend and it's just a builder software. Um, basically it has everything that we need kind of rolled into one. So it has a schedule system and I can go through and like, okay, well, framing is going to take five days. And then after framing, I need them to uh, put the roof on. After they put the roof on, I need to schedule HVAC. And then each individual item, I can link them to each other. And then I can make them five, four, six, three, two days, however long it is. And then if I link all of them together and I move one, everything on the schedule moves together. So build a trend is the biggest thing that we use. Um, I have to have a lot of documentation on site too. So, and I take a lot of photos so we can upload photos to build a trend. Um, there's a whole bunch of uh, like PM docs. I got my materials list. I print out a whole bunch of pictures of like the tile, the layout, just kind of like design things. So when the guys are on site, I can be like, hey, like this is this is what I want the shower to look like. Just kind of different visual things for them. So build a trend is the absolute best thing. I don't know how people would would run uh, houses without that. So it's, it's not easy, but uh, Build the Trend makes it a lot more manageable being able to uh, put everything into one system. I love it. I love it. Do you think that there's anything that that system doesn't cover that is a struggle in your day-to-day life when it comes to your, to your projects? Like if there's one thing that is just a pet peeve that is just always an issue every day, it, what would that be? And like, you know, what would a solution for that possibly look like? I think that one of the pet peeves is, and it's just a human characteristic, is uh, people not getting 100% done with what they're assigned. So I can do, I can be the best project manager in the world. I can schedule you on time. I get you all the materials. I can get you a perfect picture of what you're supposed to do. But when I leave the job site, there's a lot of things that happen. So when I come back, um, not every time it's it, the finished product looks exactly um like the way it's supposed to. So that's just kind of a job of project manager, making sure that the quality is correct. So pet peeve is getting people to do exactly what you want them to do, but I don't know if there's a perfect solution to that. Um, I've spent a lot of times vetting guys and we do so much work that I've got some really good subs that I know do good work every time, but the industry is so crazy now, everybody's working for everybody. It's just kind of hard to keep a hold of, of the good guys and have them do every single one of your houses on time and perfectly on schedule. Absolutely, absolutely. So speaking of, of builds and the market being crazy, um, what are some of your favorite spots or you know spots that you would highlight um, in terms of great places to build right now or that you enjoy building in in the Kansas City metro area? So I don't know exactly the, the coverage that you cover, but based mm-hmm. on the areas that you cover, what are your favorite places to build in? Where Where's the in your opinion, the the best property or the best place to live? Yeah, so we build from all the way up north, uh, Kearney, Liberty, Gladstone, North Kansas City area, all the way south. We got a couple houses in Leewood, Prairie Village, 
So basically just the general Kansas City area. Um, one of my favorite builds was right off the plaza um, off of Westwood Park. That one was super, super cool, modern build. Um, we kind of just go wherever the clients are because clients come in, they're like, hey, I got a piece of land. I want to build a new new house. And then we kind of take it from there. So um, we don't do a lot of spec houses. Spec houses are where you buy the land and then you build the house and you sell it to somebody. We do more of a custom build. So I kind of go where they already have land. Um, I would say my favorite area to build is the Overland Park area. It's so robust. There's so many cool things down there. Um, there's a lot of cool neighborhoods. So I really enjoy the Overland Park area. So who, who, who do you deal with the most or like who are the different players in the development game or like in the house building game when it comes to, you know, who comes to you? Are they real estate developers who are trying to, you know, build a whole large complex or, or home, you know, mm -hmm. I forgot what they're called, but, you know, basically where there's a whole bunch of homes in the neighborhood. Yeah, do, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Or or is it solo people who are like, hey. I bought this property. I bought this land. I'm going to be the person living there. I want you guys to do this. Who exactly are you guys dealing with the most or have you deal with this the most and who's the easiest and hardest to work with? Yeah. So it's a little bit of both. Uh, every once in a while, we'll have a developer come in. They're like, hey, we've got this many lots. Do you want to buy 10 out of my 100 lots? This would be your nice little subdivision. About 90% of our people are custom people. So I, we build luxury high-end houses so we got lawyers and doctors and a whole bunch of people like that coming to us uh building properties from 600 to a couple million dollars so that's 90 percent of our clients we do have about 10 percent to where we'll do a spec house so there's a subdivision called eagle point up in liberty um that we ended up doing we bought a model we bought a lot for a model house and uh we're building like a 1.1 million dollar house on it and from there we're hoping to get more clients that go through the model house like hey this house looks fantastic i want these guys to build my house so hopefully we'll get a couple new um, additions and equal point from that model house i love that i love that and just for the people who might be interested out there what's like the let's talk about like the goods that you have to bet and you buy oh, we don't want to talk about the cost of goods because i know that goes up there and we get too much yeah. into the numbers but when you're building a house, what are the standard things you need from the bottom up? So let's just walk through the foundation till the mm -hmm. end build. What are like the things that you're buying from Home Depot and stuff like, what do you need to build a home for somebody who's like trying to DIY it? Obviously yeah. don't do that, but you know, if you're not a professional, don't do that, but you get what I'm yeah. saying. Um, so you start with the foundation. You got to have somebody there to dig it, um, get the dirt out of there. Uh, next is your uh, footers and your foundation walls. So you gotta you gotta hire somebody to to pour um, your concrete walls. Once that gets done, then you gotta backfill. So you gotta have the same excavator come back and fill the rest around the foundation. Um, so that's really not materials. That's just kind of the first level of it. Then you start doing your ground rough plumbing. So you got a plumber come in. You've got the PVC pipe. So that ground earth plumbing is basically where everything is underneath a concrete slab. So if you have a bathroom in your basement or a wet bar or a kitchen, anything under concrete, you gotta have the pipe that runs it first. Then you come in and you have your flat work guys, concrete everything. From there you do framing. So that's your two by fours, two by sixes, your two by eights. Um, then you need your OSB for like your roofing and whatnot, or not your roofing, for your roof sheathing. Uh, next, you throw on the roof. So that's where you get your shingles, uh, different stuff like that. 
from there, the house is dried in, you've put your windows in, you put your doors in, your roof is on. So then from there, that's when you do like your HVAC. So your heating and cooling, whole bunch of tin work, duct work like that, your furnace, your air conditioner. Uh, then you go to your plumbing. So that's when you get your PVC pipe, you put in your bathrooms, uh, your tubs, your showers, then you finish up with your electrical. So that's where, and that's one of my favorite parts because I walk through with the homeowners, like, okay, since you're doing a custom house, like, where do you want your outlets? Where do you want your can lights? Do you want a special light fixture right here? Do you want under cabinet lights? So that's where you really get to customize a whole bunch of stuff like that. Uh, from there, then once you get in all of your mechanicals, you do your drywall. So that's a whole bunch of stuff that you get from, from Home Depot, like your four by eight drywall that you can hang. Once you mud and tape that, you go to trim. So you can put in your doors, uh, you build your closets, you build your trim around your windows. Uh, then from there you go to paint. So you get to pick out your pretty colors. You can see in my background, this is actually a house that I just built. I finished in August um, and I actually designed the blueprints myself. I was the builder on it and um, I did all the design in it as well. So wow, I like, I got a, yeah, I got a whole bunch of like accent walls and stuff like that. I wanted to keep it custom. So I got a whole bunch of cool stuff. I'm actually getting a, a professional photo shoot done uh, probably by the time this comes out so we may end up being able to link a whole bunch of the photos of i would love to how to do it so that's beautiful i love i would love to do that for sure it's cool but then you go to paint then once you get to paint that's when homeowners really get to pick out the cool things that they want from home depot so you start with tile so you go through you get to pick out your tile um you can mix it up you can do kind of a traditional you got to pick your grout uh, from there, that's when you get to do your finishes. So your countertops, your cabinets, uh, your finished electrical stuff. So like your ceiling fans, your light fixtures, uh, plumbing wise, you could do your kitchen faucet, uh, dishwasher appliances, little different stuff like that. And that's really just kind of, just kind of comes to the, the last part of the building process. So you guys really do the cut. It's truly a custom build. So there's no, there's no like, there's no like, here's the standard house built. This is what you're going to get. You can choose the color of the painting, but that's pretty much it. Like here's the standard built. You guys from the ground up, it's pretty much, obviously, you know, the foundation, you know, is the foundation. But aside from that, from, from there, from the ground up, from the, the setup of how it's built to the colors, faucets, lighting, everything is okay. custom. Wow. That's crazy. And even the layout of it. So they will come in. We don't have like predetermined blueprints. They come in, they're like, hey, I got a million dollar budget. I got a $600,000 budget. I want four bedrooms, five baths. And then Luke, our owner, will go through and be like, all right, well, I'm going to draw. He'll literally draw up with them on a piece of paper. All right, well, we think about putting the kitchen here. You can put the pantry here. So you customize everything with us. Wow. I love that. And and before we move on, go ahead and shout out the company real quick, just in case people really enjoyed that part of the breakdown of the whole custom build. And they're just thinking about building their own house. Yeah. Owen Homes. Owen Homes. Uh, we are located off Green Hills Road up in the Northland. Uh, build a lot of houses, a lot of dream houses. They're awesome. I just did my my own. Highly recommended. I love it. I love it. I love it. So plan, execute, finish. What's the most difficult part of the process? And why, why would you say that? I would say for sure is execution. Um, I know so many people that, that uh, end up planning and they'll plan, 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 and they'll never actually get to actually doing anything. 
So planning is an easy step, but it's definitely the easiest of the three. Um, executing is where people separate themselves. That's where they make their money. Um, having a good plan is, is one thing, but being able to pull it off and execute it is completely different. That's what takes day in and day out work, dedication. Um, I can kind of relate it to like a New Year's resolution. Like you can come up with your resolution. It's easy to come up with a plan, but who's in the gym in February and March and April and May? So really execution and nailing down what your plan is, is I think the, the hardest and the most important part. And then finish um, as well as is uh, a good part of the process. But if you build up enough momentum while you're executing, you can get through the finish, no problem. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I love how you relate everything kind of back to sports, because at the end of the day, you know, based off of people's backgrounds, that's how you're going to frame your future. So you're always going to frame, you know, you know, maybe you were in ballet, maybe you were in football. So how you how you frame, you know, your day to day life in, in regards to what you're going about with your career, your relationships often is going to come back to what you were raised on and, you know, what, what, what you know most about. So, you know, having your playbook and knowing your plays and running your plays on a day-to-day -day basis and practicing those plays behind the scenes and, you know, listening to the coach, which is whatever your mentors or, or the books you read and things like that. So I love the way you related back to that. So let's transition into investing. Let's, let's run your, run us your, you know, the first time you got into real estate investing, what was your first investment? What's your favorite investment? Um, let's start there. So the first investment we did, we, I say we, I had a partner um, for my first one. Uh, Phil Jackson was my real estate partner. He was uh, the running back for Northwest. So we played football together, met in college. He was from Chicago. I convinced him to move to Kansas City after he graduated. So uh, we started a little company um, on the side and started trying to flip houses. Bought our first house out in KCK for ninety thousand uh, so dollars. I was working for Owen Homes at the time, so I knew the construction process. So that was that wasn't really the hard part. We wanted to spend uh, twenty thousand was our budget. We ended up spending thirty thousand because that's just what happens in real estate investment. Uh, but we ended up selling it for a hundred and fifty. So I think we took away like twenty thousand dollars. Um, after the interest and the real estate fee, and we did the flip in about two months. So we thought we hit the gold mine because we were used to making like thirty, forty thousand dollars a year. We just made twenty grand in in two months of work, and um, we kind of just fell in love from there. I love it. I love it. And let's start there. So let's let's uh let's let's talk about what what do some say somebody's a newbie, complete newbie, and they're like, yo you know, this is pretty much everybody that's 20 years old on the internet right now. Right. So, so they're like, yo, I got $15,000 and, uh, or $10,000 and a full-time job, but I want to flip a house. Can you walk us through the process? What do they need to do? What websites do they need to go to? Like, what is the, just walk us through the full process, um, or at least through your full process when you guys got that property. Uh, the first thing that you need to do is get an education not school education. Um, I think that's one of the most overrated things. I am a college graduate. I did my thing. I learned a lot of vocabulary words and a lot of cool stuff like that. Um, graduated with a very high GPA, this and that, but it really didn't help me as much as I thought it would in life. Everything that I've learned has been from the companies I work for or the people I'm 
around um, from the podcast that I listen to, um, really just self-education. So honestly, my last five years post-college, I learned about three or four times as much as I learned in college. Um, not dissing college or Northwest or anything like that, but the, your true education will come outside of the books, uh, really. So number one, get your education, as in listen to podcasts. Biggerpockets.com is the goat of all goats um, when it comes to website. They got a podcast. They got a YouTube channel. They have like 500 episodes now, so they've been doing their thing for forever. There's, they made a lot of millionaires through that. So Bigger Pockets was a big one that we ended up doing. Um, I also ended up just meeting a lot of real estate investors. So we were graduating college at 2021, 20, um, and we looked up. There was a place called Mari, which is in Overland Park, and it's Missouri Association of Real Estate Investors. So we would end up going to this this meeting, and it's just a meeting of hundreds of different real estate investors in Kansas and Missouri. And there'd be a whole bunch of 60, 50 year old white dudes and their wives. And it'd be us two 20 year old black guys. And they were like, what are you guys doing? We're trying to learn how to flip some out. We're trying to make some money. They're like, damn, I wish, I wish I was here when I was 20 years old. I wish I started back then. We're like, yeah, like we're, we're, we're about it. So we're just surrounding ourselves around people that are actually doing it. That's the most dangerous thing that you can do is surround yourself around a whole bunch of talkers. We say, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. There's a lot of people that do that. I, I still talk to people now. They're like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna flip a house. I'm like, all right, well, I've flipped 20 houses this year. So just, just getting in the realm of what you want to do, even if it's not just real estate, just whatever you want to do, find somebody who has done it and hang around them, provide value to them, um, help them with whatever you can, whatever you can, and then they will then give you some knowledge and that'll help build you up. So number one, get your education, uh, figure out, um, talk to lenders. That's a big, that's a good way. Like more like investment groups like that. You'll meet a lot of lenders. You'll need to meet a whole bunch of wholesalers. Wholesalers are the guys that are actually talking to the homeowners. They're getting the property under contract that then sell it to you. So, uh, you need a list of lenders. You need a list of wholesalers and you need a list of, uh, contractors. So there's a whole bunch of general contractors out there. Um, people that uh, are going to actually do the repairs on your house. Uh, that takes a little bit of vetting. It's, there's a lot of people who are overconfident and think they're really good at, at fixing houses and they end up not being great. So uh, that takes uh, a decent amount of work and there'll be a lot of mistakes that you make there, but getting a list of them. And then probably the last person is uh, real estate agents. That's, they're a very important part of the puzzle as well. Those are the people that know, know what's going on with the market. They know how much you're going to be able to sell the house for. Uh, they know what, what the market's looking like. So list of wholesalers, lenders, contractors, and real estate agents. Once you can kind of associate, associate yourself with them, then you, you'll find yourself getting deals, getting them done, and getting them sold. Love it. I love it. So to run that back to for the listeners, essentially, ladies and gentlemen, number one, educate yourself. Get your foundational knowledge from platforms like Bigger Pockets. Bigger Pockets, uh, you know, they have a whole bunch of people that are on the podcast that have written books. Some some of the founders of Bigger Pockets have written amazing books about flipping, about you know, bur the bird strategy. There, there's so many things they've and pieces of content they pu pushed out there. So 
you know, that's a great place to start. So first, educate yourself, bigger pockets, books, podcasts. Second, start surrounding yourself with doers and people who are in the industry. The more, the more people that are doers that you're around, the more likely that you're not going to keep talking about it and you're actually going to do it because you're going to be around people who are pushing you to do it. In that same space, you're going to be working on number three, which is building out your network, building out your network of real estate agents, your lenders, your wholesalers, and your contractors. Once you build out your network, you develop a foundational knowledge, you have pretty much all the pieces you need to take action. Obviously, you got to have some bread, some capital, but you know, once you have all that in place, you're in a good, pretty good place to get started. So I love that. So uh, how did you guys source, if you don't mind me asking, how did you guys source your capital to get that first property? So uh, the, the property was only $90,000. Uh, if it's a good enough deal, you can actually get into it without a whole bunch of money. I, I think we only had like $5,000 to spend uh, between us, uh, but we ended up finding a good enough deal to where if we bought it for 90, uh, a lot of lenders will give you 80% of the ARV, the after repair value. Um, so we figured that we'd be able to sell it for 150. Um, I'm not being, gonna be able to do my quick math of 80% of that. Um, but basically if we were gonna be all in for like 120, they're okay with giving us all the money. Uh, and I had talked to the lenders. We'd have a lot of meetings. It wasn't just one. We had two or three or four meetings with them. I told them that I was building houses on the daily. I showed them the portfolio of work that I was doing. They were comfortable with my construction knowledge. Um, they were comfortable with us as partners. Um, and shockingly enough, 90000 20 or $120,000 isn't a lot of money to a lot of people that are making bread out there like that. So it really wasn't a super huge risk for them. Um, worst case scenario, they get the house anyways. So they were comfortable enough with us to, to lend them on our first deal. Uh, we ended up being successful there and they've been giving us money ever since. I love it. I love it. I love it. And are you, are you mainly flipping house outside of building homes in your, your project management position in regards to the other work you're doing in the real estate world, you've mentioned flipping houses. Is there anything else you're doing? Any buying holds or buying and, and renting out property? Like what, uh, what other strategies are you using in the real estate world um, that you've enjoyed or, or that you didn't enjoy? Yeah. So one of my favorite things uh, that I did was I uh, house hat. So I spent the first, I tried to buy a house when I was roughly 22, um, I was making a decent amount of money. Um, I had a good uh, understanding of the market and real estate. So I was looking for a whole bunch of duplexes, duplexes, duplexes. I didn't find a duplex where I could buy both sides, but I bought one side of the duplex. Um, I ended up buying for $124,000. Uh, I put 5% down. So I only had to come up with $7,000. Uh, my mortgage was 900 bucks. And it was four bedrooms. It was like 1,700 square feet. So what I ended up doing was um, I started inviting my friends to live with me. I ended up charging them four or $500 a pop. At one point, I had three other roommates. So I had a bedroom and uh, the three of them had their individual bedrooms. So I was making $1,500 a month. Uh, my mortgage is 900 So I was basically living for free and making um, the $600 a month. Um, I'll take that $600, put it in a savings account, and then I slowly started accumulating 
um, a lot of cash that way. So that's house hacking. That's probably my favorite thing that I had done. Um, recently, I actually just sold that duplex when I built this. Um, did a couple things myself. Um, poured a patio on the back. Did a couple little, not a full rehab, but just kind of spruced it up. And I ended up making 60 grand um, from that investment. So I made a lot of money buying it throughout living there. And then once I sold it, I made a decent amount of money too. So that's probably um, my, my favorite thing that I've done to date. Um, I like to travel a lot. We go to Lake of Ozarks all the time. We go to Florida, we go to Mexico. So um, I'm going to kind of start a new trend of real estate investing. Um, I am going to wherever my favorite destination is, I'm going to save up 20% for a down payment. I'm going to buy a condo or a house down there. And then I'm basically just going to Airbnb it out every day that I'm not there. And if I want to go there for a couple of weeks, I'll just block it off Airbnb. Um, we'll show up. We'll, we'll do our thing there. We'll go head back home and I'll continue to make money on Airbnb. So my plan is to do um, first get a couple houses in the Lake of the Ozarks. Once I get that, I'm going to branch out to Florida um, and we're just going to kind of continue from there. So my next phase of real estate investment is to purchase properties, not for specifically long-term rentals, but for short-term Airbnb. So that way I can use them too. I love it. I love it. I love that plan. And I, and I, and I know that you're going to turn that into reality because I only met you like two years ago and you've already done like freaking mad more flips already, already sold the crib you was talking about last time and property on that done built your whole built design, created your whole own new crib. Yeah. So we know you're an action taker and you know, that's why we're having you on the show today. So uh, before I ask you your next few questions, can you drop where people can find you on social or your email or your website, just so, you know, if they're not going to finish off this episode, they can take this moment to go, you know, find you, support you and reach out if they have any questions or want to connect with you for business. Yeah. So the main thing that I use is Instagram, um, DA most blessed, D-A-M-O-S-T-B-L-E-S-S-E-D. Um, that's really my primary uh, way of communication. Um, I don't have a, a website or anything like that. Real estate investment, you don't really have to be upfront with the people. Um, a lot of the action is behind the scenes. Uh, so Instagram is probably my, my main channel of outreach. I love it. So ladies and gentlemen, if you have to get out of here right now, you have to go to bed or whatever you're doing right now, listening, um, go ahead and follow my guy on IG. And, you know, he's a busy, busy man, but I'm sure if he has some time over the next few weeks to respond to DMs over time or, you know, you got some money for him, he definitely responds. <laughs> but, but I love it. All right. So, um, you know, going back to your project management position, you're dealing with, you know, a lot of people on the job doing stuff they're supposed to do and may not finish. So and sometimes maybe not do the greatest job. So how do you give feedback? Can you kind of give me an example of maybe a few times where people have, you know, disappointed you on a job and how you handled that? Yeah. So honestly, I, I keep it real with them. I don't, I don't yell cause I, I don't respond well to yelling and I don't sugarcoat it either. I just keep it real with them. I'm like, yo, like what's going on? I was expecting you to be done last Tuesday. It's Thursday. What's going on? And I give them a chance to explain themselves. So I'm like, all right, like, Hey, what are we doing? What's going on with this situation? Um, if they give me some type of bogus, bogus excuse, I'll call them up. Like, uh, I'm not, I'm not feeling that. Like we're, we're going to wrap up, but this, this is probably going to be um, the last, uh, last time I have you on a job. 
Um, if they have some legitimate, we'll, we'll have a discussion, we'll talk back and forth, we'll come up with a game plan on um, how the next house can go better. So really just, just trying to be genuine with people, talk to them, um, be their friend, but don't be their best buddy. So we have a, a good work relationship with a lot of the guys. I'm, I'll invite them over um, and we'll hang out at the house every once in a while, but not too often. Uh, so just really keeping a good, healthy relationship to where you can be honest with each other. Um, and that's really the biggest thing, just having open communication with the guys, making sure that you guys are both on the same page. And if you're not, figure out how you get back to that point. And if that doesn't work, then you guys can go your separate ways. I love it. I love it. And, you know, we've talked about some of your your deals in real estate, but outside of that, what is one of, obviously there's multiple, but what's one of the best investments you've made in your life? It could be a book that you bought that changed your life. It could be a seminar. It could be taking your mom somewhere and it really made you happy. It could be anything. What's one of the best investments you've made? I would probably say it would be that the Ty Lopez uh, 67 steps that I ended up doing. Um, I didn't have anyone in my life to really show me the way. My mom was very hardworking and driven, but she was never successful um, outside of being able to pay the bills. She really didn't have enough for investments or to um make a lot of extra money and have rental properties or anything like that like I there's no one in my life who had made it past the level of being solid being able to pay your bills so just listening to uh to to Ty's system of how to make money and how to live and a lot of different things like that was 67 dollars and that was the spark that then branched my thirst for knowledge in a whole bunch of different areas. So that was, that was probably the, one of the main things that kind of kicked it, kicked off uh, where I'm at today. I love it. I love it. And I have one final question for you before, but before I say that, I just want to say, I really appreciate you jumping on the episode today. I really appreciate you making time. I know you're a busy guy. You know, people are watching this like he's young. How busy can he be? Believe me, my boy is busy. He hustling. He out here. He's in the streets. He busy. may have he may have a, a, a large earring on one side and a small earring on the other. But listen, he's still fresh and he's still <laughs> hustling. Nah, but I really do appreciate you jumping on today. I think this has been a dope conversation that people will enjoy. Um, and with that being said, before we sign out, it's your last day on earth. You're 110 years old. Your great grandkids are sitting at a table with you. Now, you may have written thousands of books. There might be a lot of documentaries about you at this point. You might, you know, have a whole list of assets you're leaving for them. But this is the only thing they're going to remember you for. And you have to leave them with one quote on how to live life. What are you going to tell them? I would say, do what you love. There's, a, there's too many people out there that are just trying to get by. Um, not trying to make distractions. They're trying to keep their head down and stay in their own lane. Um, and ultimately they end up not as happy as they should be. I think we're here on this earth to express ourselves, to help others to live our fullest life. And I think the only way we can do that is to, to do what you love. And I love real estate. I'm doing everything that I can. It's, it's easy. I'm, I'm doing a lot of work. I'm very busy. It's hard, <clears throat> but really it's easy because it's something that 
I'm in love with. So if you follow uh, something that you're passionate about and that you love with, you'll figure it out. I love it. I love it. So one more time, your Instagram name and one more time, the project management position you're holding and what company is that? So they can tap in and you get more business on that side. Yes, sir. So it's DA most blessed is the IG. And then I'm a project manager for uh, Owen homes. Owenhomes.com. You can check it out. Um, let them know that you heard this podcast. Uh, we'll hook you up. We'll hook you up with some. I love it. Any final words, my boy? No, I appreciate the time. Um, people, please, please, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, I love uh, getting on podcasts and reaching out to to people that look like me, that don't look like me. Um, I just want to be an inspiration. I want to be a help uh, for as many people as I can. I'm actually looking to hire a protege here in the next a uh, couple of months in 2022. So if uh, anything that I said kind of relates to you, uh, reach out to me. We uh, may be able to work out something for you. I love it. I love it. With that being said, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you leave a five-star review. Share this with your friends. Put a like, put a comment. These are the only ways we can grow is with your support and love. So please support and love the Culture Talks podcast. This is C-I-Z-Z-Y signing out. Salute. Oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man.